You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. How's everybody doing? Another great day at True Life Church, huh? Hopefully y'all are glad to be around the presence of each other, uh, both in person and online. So great to see your faces. And uh, yeah, just excited about that. There's some opportunities for you to be a part of the body of Christ we're going to be talking about at the end of our time together this morning. But we're going to actually dive right into uh, and pick up in our series. If you're keeping track, we are on week four, week four in our series in Nehemiah. And it's convenient because today we're going to be looking at chapter four. So we get our numbers on the right place. So I invite you to go ahead and turn there. Uh, there's a Bible in front of you in the basket if you don't have one. If you don't have one at all, um, you're welcome. And please take that one with you today. Put your name uh, in there in permanent ink. That is yours. Uh, that is, at the very least, a gift uh, to you. And give the Word of God. Um, so you're welcome to take that with you. Or pull out your, your app, Bible app there and, and turn, that, turn that sucker on. Uh, so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4 today. And uh, hopefully you found that, and uh, I want to start off with a word of prayer, and then we'll read some scripture together. God, thank you for another time and another opportunity to be in your presence and in the presence of the body of Christ. I pray that with our hearts and with our lips that you are glorified above all things today. I pray that we have a genuine concern for our neighbor within this room and in our community. I pray that we are driven to be the the leaders and even the followers that you have called us to be. Who would serve and endure and be strengthened. For even where we are weak, God, you are strong. And finally, I pray for the scripture passages this morning that what has been prepared uh, will have been set aside for this time that I would do um, as well as humanly possible to deliver your word to this people today. Then more than my words, that your words are what is heard and your presence is what is felt. And that we would be changed because of that. That you would renew our minds so that we would be transformed for the power of the gospel. It's all these things we ask in the precious and holy name of Jesus, Son of God and Redeemer of all. Amen. I was torn between um, titling this message today a couple of different things. Not that it really matters, but sometimes it helps me put kind of a filter or litmus test, if you will, on the direction of what I feel God just uh, leading me to talk about. And in one aspect, it's, I won't say it's easy, because we are walking chapter by chapter through the book of Nehemiah, right? So I know what's next. So do you. Spoiler alert, we're going to be in week five next week. Where do you think we're going to be? We're going to be in chapter five. So you can feel free to read ahead, open the word of God for yourself and and get a spoiler alert, unless you don't like those. 
Uh, but see what God reveals to you uh, in the reading of his word. Um, but a title usually kind of helps me just kind of focus. And I was torn between a few different titles. And um, we're going to settle on the title of today's message being called A Sword and a Stone. Now, if you grow up, and you do, I'm a real boy. You know, if you, if you grow up, or when you grow up, you've probably come across this story about a made-up place, though probably somewhat rooted in some loose historical spot in England uh, called Camelot. And in this Camelot, there is a boy. And this boy grows up to be a king, King Arthur. And there is a sword and a stone, and a magical made-up man named Merlin has to help the boy, future king, pull this sword out of the stone, and there's the Lady of the Lake and Excalibur and some other things. Anyway, um, so today I want you to have that in the back of your mind because it's not a sword in the stone, it's a sword and a stone. And the conjunction there is going to make a really important difference for us today. Also, uh, optional service titles uh, were a lot more boring than that, but another one that was a possibility was simply just Braveheart. Um, LAUGHTER and I chose to not go that route because I couldn't probably help keeping a Scottish accent the whole time. I mean, I'd want to just give the William Wallace speech uh, with a very cleanly shaven Mel Gibson with long hair and a kilt that weren't around for about 150 or 200 more years historically. I digress. Anyway, um, so we're going to settle on, on, a sto- on a sword and a stone. And just to recap a couple of things, because we are on a journey together. You know that? All right, so if you don't, we are on a journey together. And every message, every time we gather, every time we read God's word and open it up together, we are being progressed forward, hopefully, together into the likeness of Christ and in his body. All right, so we are growing together. So every message, whether it's part of a sermon series or not, will lead us into the next thing, into the next thing, into the next thing. So we are growing together. We are on a journey together. You are in your own life, but more importantly, I would say that we are in this life now together, right? We are part of this church, and this church is supremely important to me. Hopefully it is supremely important to you. And so we are moving, and we are being transformed, and we are being changed as we're on this journey together, it might seem simple to just read the next chapter, but it's so much more than that, because I believe that God is directing the scriptures together for a greater thing than we can possibly imagine. And if we allow ourselves to be his ambassador, to be his hands and feet, and the gospel, we've sang about it already this morning, our world will be not a better place, but a more godly place. Because a more godly place is a better place, right? And a few things that we've talked about on this journey, because I don't want to, we're not going to spend too much time on it, but you gotta, we got to understand that everything has been building up from something before that. And we started off this year again in a series called, if you remember, Return to Me. Thank you, David. Radical. That was, that was so three years ago. Just three years ago. Right? Because um, of the rap. Yeah. All right. 
radical, radical, you and me meant to be in unity for all to see, to infinity and beyond. It's not, it's not leaving the head, so I'm not doing that today. Um, no, I'm not making a rap for every series. All right, stay on point, people. Help me out. Help me out here. We started off this year in a series called Return to Me. And again, we spent nine weeks, hopefully, in a boot camp of repentance. That's really kind of what it was. Now we're building out of that, and chronologically we've moved forward out of the book of Second Chronicles, then into the book of Ezra, and then landed in Nehemiah, and then here we are in Nehemiah, now up to chapter 4 today. So we're just walking our way forward. But everything is built upon what came before that. We, we need to understand that, right? And what has come before this in this particular series is that one of the, the, one of the points that we, we need to understand is, number one, this won't be up on the screen because I just want to recap, is that we need to understand that we are sent. You are sent. You have a purpose beyond living for yourself in this life. You are sent knowing Christ with a godly mission. Again, a co-mission. We talked about that from the book of Matthew, chapter 28. The Great Commission is its known or little subtitle, but it's co-mission. We are co-laboring with Christ and with the body of Christ to accomplish the purpose of Christ in the world. Another thing we talked about is that you are meant to build. We are meant to be builders, not tearing down, but building up. Another thing we talked about is that building for the kingdom brings adversity, and we need to understand that in the back of our minds because that will be supremely important for today. Building for the kingdom of God brings adversities. If you're, if you're like, i got no enemies in my life, then build for God and watch him show up. i got no one opposing what I like to do, then take a stand for Christ and see who shows up and who posts something on your wall or otherwise. And again, we're going to pick up here in Nehemiah chapter 4. And for the first part, I just want to read verses 1 through 14. We're going to move through this passage together. Now, the adversary, because building for the kingdom brings adversity. The adversary, in this case, the main one, is this guy called Sanballat. We talked about him the past couple weeks. But when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, and again, this is the wall around Jerusalem that had been torn down when the, when the captives were taken away to Babylon and removed, and not all the Israelites were taken captive from the kingdom of Judah. Just have that in the back of your mind. We're going to come back there, put a little pin in it. Not all of them were taken away, but most of them were. And some of the people left behind ended up mingling and intermarrying with other tribes and then ultimately worshiping other gods. So when from the kingdom of Persia where they were let go out of captivity, the, the Israelites and the kingdom of Judah come back now to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and its walls which had been torn down in the direction of Ezra and Nehemiah. And some of the other guys in the other kingdoms didn't want Jerusalem rebuilt because that meant Jerusalem would be stronger and their kingdoms would be weaker. And they knew that from the history and what was going to be accomplished, that they were going to be building for God. Not gods with little g, but they were building for the Lord, so that his city, the holy city, would be strong again, because without walls, no city, no city equals no temple. And again, up until the time of Jesus Christ, they were very dependent on a place where the Spirit and the presence of God dwelt, and sacrifices and other things. So that's the ultimate end goal, is walls to city, city to temple. And Sanballat and his cronies is being like, hey, if let's, let's stop things right now before they get too far into this project. So when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. 
And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? <laughs> Look at them, they look silly. Are they going to build it back themselves? Are they going to restore this wall, this city? Are they going to sacrifice? Are, are they going to build it in a day? Will they revive up the stones out of the heaps of roughish and the burned ones at that? You know, because some stones have been burnt and burnt brick isn't great. Burnt stone isn't the great thing to do to use for a wall. It's already been fractured and heated and cooled and is likely to crumble and break. What are you going to, you got broken blocks left. What are you going to build, Israelites? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he's going to break down their stone wall. Look at what they're building. It's so weak. Ain't no, if an animal climbs up onto the top, it's going to go... Might make a little bit more noise than that, but that's the, that's the idea. So they're just sitting there watching Nehemiah and all the people around the whole city. And we talked about that last weekend. It was an exciting chapter of chapter 3, and we read all of it. All right, and we talked about how wherever they were to build where you were at. And they each focused on their own section of the wall. So the wall's gradually coming up in different places. And I'm sure not everyone was a master builder. But that was the task they had set themselves to. So it would have been easy for them to show up outside these walls being, being stacked up on top of each other and be like, you're building this? Really? A strong breeze will blow down this wall. Oh, I'm really afraid. So they're just constantly mocking them and standing outside the wall, making fun of them. And then here we have this in verse 4. Here, O our God, for we are despised. They're making fun of us. They don't understand the mission that we are trying to do to build up the city, to make a place for your holiness. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. In other words, let them see how it feels for a while. Let them be taken out of their homeland and imprisoned. And maybe they won't, you know, survive the way we did because they don't have the Lord their God by their side. Do not cover their, their guilt. Do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And I love the next verse because it goes right into, despite the mocking, despite the making the fun of, Despite the jeering and the insults, so we built the wall. In other words, what, what, what's someone going to say? What's someone going to do? We have a, we have a purpose. I'm not going to let that distract me. And we can interject some, some practical application in that because as you and I take a stand to build for the kingdom, someone else will most likely, if not guaranteed, make fun of what you're doing in the changes and new habits and new schedule and new direction and new disciplines that you're doing. Because a godly mission is confusing to a worldly people. A godly mission is confusing to a worldly people. They don't get it. To them it's weird. Why would you march up and down the street doing what you're doing? That's weird. I'm not saying everybody's called to do that, but maybe God has laid a call on your life to do that. Why would you approach someone in a supermarket, and the first question out of your mouth is, hey, do you know Jesus? That's weird. Because it doesn't make, doesn't make sense to them. Why build up a, a place? Why, why make a difference? Why stand in the gap for, for families or those lost or orphans or widows or outcasts? Why try to help someone out? 
Don't you know they'll just abuse it? Doesn't make sense. You and I are called to a godly mission. And a godly mission is confusing to a worldly people. Sometimes I think we, we get stuck maybe in a rut. We're like, well, don't you understand all of this? Don't you understand God and who he is and why we're serving him? And let's be honest, the answer is no. Like you have to put your place in a, in, in, for their shoes in a, in a second and, or for a second and you're like, they, let's pretend they know nothing about God because that's the reality in our culture right now. Because even if they say they believe in a higher power, it may not be God. And even if they say they pray, well, to whom? Well, I don't know, I just lift up a, a, a nice phrase to the cosmos. What? And all of that matters. We have to start like, they don't understand this. A godly mission is confusing to a worldly people. And as you and I are hopefully throughout this series and in our lives making changes, and that's what I really want to encourage you to do, is, is we'll come to this in a second, or in, in a few moments, another point later, but, but take a look at your life. Invite godly counsel to take a look at your life. Be open, be honest. Invite the Holy Spirit to direct your path and say, hey, God, I... Help me understand what I need to change. Because we live in a culture that likes to place blame for everything on anyone else. Nothing's your fault. It's on them. We don't like responsibility. We don't like ownership. But at the end of the day, who is responsible for your spiritual life? You are. And in our families and in our homes, who is ultimately responsible for the direction of the household? And all the men at once said, I am. No, we don't like ownership or responsibility, so we don't even, we don't even speak up in these moments when asked. Because we push off blame, because we push off ownership and responsibility. We can get caught in a mindset that is non-biblical. That is non-repentant. And we have to be. So what is God calling out of your life? Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. I don't know. But what is he calling out of your life? Hey, this needs to change. And I do know that if you pray this prayer, he will reveal something to you that needs to change. Have your eyes and ears and heart open. But you really want to change your life, then open His Word. You really want to change your life, live it out. A godly mission is confusing to a worldly people, but I want to encourage you to take a stand for this mission. To up your discipline, your spiritual habits. Carve out time for devotional and prayer because you have to make time to do it. The day's not going to hand you a free hour. It doesn't work that way. You have to set aside other things, less important things, to do the most important thing. 
Change your habits, change your schedule. And to the world, this will seem weird. Why are you bringing your Bible with you? Don't you don't, isn't there a digital version? Well, yeah, but I can make notes in this one and write things out differently, so I like it. What are you reading? Well, here's what I'm reading. That doesn't make any sense. Conversation keeps going. Let me help you show that. Or I'm learning this too. You and I are called to a mission. And it's confusing to our worldly people. I can share this. I've loosely mentioned that I have a dear friend of mine who is now in prison. Right? If you've been following along or been with us the past month or so. Um, he's in a prison for uh, four years. Guilty or not, um, that's where he sits. A believer in Christ. And a brother and a strong friend of mine. And I've made him a promise, and so I've stayed in contact with his wife every other week. I don't let another week go by without checking in on her. You know, Tripter tells us to take care of the orphan and the widow, and she's kind of widowed right now, in a way. So I made him a promise, I'm keeping my word. And I was talking with her this week, and when before he went into prison about a, a month ago, uh, he and I were having a lot of good conversations. He had a piece about that that's where he was supposed to be. And he and I were talking, like, God must need you in prison more than he needs you at home right now. You're on a four-year mission trip. And just think about it that way. Well, a month in, uh, my friend is already known as Chapel Guy because he knows when the next chapel is and about this holy Jesus thing, right? And he was talking with a friend he made in there, and I'm not saying any names or situations. I'm trying to be careful, but I can share this. He was talking with a friend he made in prison, and uh, my friend has not been able to, to get uh, his Bible in yet. And so he was talking with a, a friend he made. And this friend was like, well, I have, I have two Bibles. This one says KJV, and I can't understand a word of it. And this one says ESV, and I still can't understand a word of it. But it's a little different. Are they the same or whatever? And my friend is like, well, let me show you and let me help you. Do you mind parting with the KJV version? So that, because I, I would love that. He's like, sure, I can't read it anyway. And then I'll help you read the ESV version. So he's made a friend in there. They're reading the Bible together. And this man is going to be baptized. In prison. Month one. So let them give you a nickname like Chapel Guy. Let the world say what they're going to say. Let your friends, or really, you're going to find out who your friends really are. When you go down this path to build for the kingdom, discover who your friends and your relationships really are, but take a stand in what you're building. Because a godly mission is confusing to our worldly people. But we should not be confused, right? What we might be is complacent. And therein lies the battle. Because we're not called to be complacent. We're called on a co-mission. I'm going to keep reading. So we built the wall. Boom. In your face, send ballot. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Look at that. For the people had a mind to work. They weren't lazy. They weren't complacent. They were driven. They were purposeful. They were about what Nehemiah had called them to do to build God's city there in Jerusalem. And so it's not done yet. But what is done? 
Oh, we're halfway there. Oh, okay. All right. It's halfway there. I couldn't help. When I was studying this, every time I read that, I, for some reason, this just kept popping in my brain. But we're on a journey together, right? Boo. <laughs> All right. Fine. Don't, don't join me on my jokes. See how it is? So, I'm gonna build, so I built the wall. I don't care. Um, all the walls joined together half the size. So all they connected all the dots. And it wasn't done yet. But we're how far along? Halfway there. All right. And when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, and that's a lot of people groups, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. And we devised a strategy. No? What does yours say? Uh, oh, and, and we um, hired a marketing firm to develop a better Jerusalem logo, and that would surely lure the sand ballot peoples to our side. No. Okay. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. <clears throat> and we bought a new car. No. And we moved. No. And we what? We prayed to our God. Here comes the enemy. We can see him. Because Jerusalem sits on a high place. And they could see him coming. Here, here they come. Before it was just Sambal and a couple of cronies. Now they're coming back with an army. And the wall's not done yet. So we prayed. And we prayed to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. And in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. They can't do it. They're weak. It's only halfway done. They're not going to be able to finish the whole thing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So there's some naysayers within the land. But not within the city. Those who were on the inside building the city had what? Verse 6. A mind to work. To not be confused. To not be complacent. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come along them, come among them and, and kill them and stop the work. I know how to stop this wall being built. We're going to kill them. The wall's only halfway done. We can clamber up there. Hopefully we're more nimble than the fox because, you know, if the fox is going to knock the wall down, maybe hopefully the wall, but we can climb up there and we're going we're to kill them. And obviously they're saying this around the people. The wall's not done. But I imagine that as they're building the wall, these tribes and these peoples are probably just as close as Derek and Mary might be. Like they're not far off. And they're probably yelling insults back and forth at each other and making fun of them. Now, it would be tempting for those on the wall to come down from the wall and be like, ooh, he said that about you? He said that about me? I'm not going to take it? We're not going to take it. I mean, we're all, I mean, okay. So it, it might be tempting to come down off the wall and go do something about it in your own strength. 
But once you leave the safety of the wall, you would then be exposed and vastly outnumbered. This would be a bad idea. So the strengthen is what they're building. Don't leave what they're building. Don't take your mind off the work. Don't try to handle things your way. Try to build things God's way. And so at that time, the Jews who lived near them are seeing this potential army and potential devastation come upon this city that's being built. And the people who were living in Judah, though not in the city, kept, came to the people in the city who were trying to build. And they said, uh, just stop. Just please. It's not popular right now. You know, there's this whole social movement and there's, there's flags and, and parades and a whole bunch of what you're doing is not popular. You're going to be on the wrong side of history. I hate that phrase. Yeah, like, like we know what, what was going to be viewed in good or bad light of history. If we live by this, we're on the right side of eternity. <laughs> and that's what matters. And as we know, if you're not following, they can change what history looks like. They can put up new monuments and tear down old monuments and change the way the history books are written. A friend of mine um, was telling me about a curriculum at, at a local high school that says that in the uh, attacks on 9-11 were provoked by us. This is in the books being taught at O'Galley High School in the history class saying that America's lavishness and America's intervention in other countries provoked the 9-11 Twin Towers attack. I was there, man. I was alive. All right? Maybe you were or not, but the new generation wasn't. And so they're reading this, and for them, okay, it must be true. It's written down in the, in the history book. I've got to take a test on it. So they can change what history may or may not look like, but we want to be living on the right side of eternity. And these people were coming, hey, this is not popular right now. It's not popular to be a Christ follower. It's not popular because there's flags and there's movements and there's social things and there's parades and there's a whole bunch of different things. Just come, just, come, just leave what you're doing. It's, it's weird. We don't really need the city right now. There's other cities we can live in. It's okay. Just put the blocks down and return to us. Now, I wanted to bring back where we started from this year because that series was called, out of the Second Chronicles chapter 7, was called Return to Me, right? And here we see in verse 12, at that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and they said to us ten times, they said, you must return to us. Return to us. And for those of us who have the call in our life that says return to me, me being God, we cannot let ourselves be distracted by a return to us. You see where I'm going with this? I don't know how to necessarily put it better than that right now because that's not the landing spot of today's message. Maybe it's something you can marinate in later for the week. Because there's going to be an opportunity. Just, just return to us. It's weird. Stop posting what you're posting on social media. Stop having these weird God conversations every day. And I challenge you to not stop. So we built the wall. Brick by brick. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Not just for the impending enemy, but for the people who wanted them to leave the city. The people who weren't part of the plan. 
The people who are saying, just return to us. Nope. It's army time. You know where a general keeps his armies? In his sleeves. You and I need to be ready. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention, all right? It's army time, all right? Because there's an impending army going to attack them, and there's people who are inviting people to leave the mission. And I've got time for that. And I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, and please, if you want to do yourself a favor, underline this verse. Like, make it a mission statement in your house and in your families. Read this. Do not be afraid of them. And as our life goes on, your them may change, but regardless, it's not God, so don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and your homes. And I can imagine again, here's the William Wallace moment, but the speech this iconic speech where he's riding up and down in the movie on a horse. Have you seen this? Yeah? They may, tender, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Who from you, from one day, wouldn't change one day, give one day, but just one chance to come back here and tell you. I mean, just imagine, Nehemiah is up on the wall. And he's looking down into the people in the city who are now armed. <coughs> we can see a moment of this actually almost lived out. Another movie called Kingdom of Heaven, which is a historical fiction, is based on things that actually happened during the Middle Ages and the Crusades. And a real-life Baron of Ibelin helped stop the Muslim attack into the city of, guess what? Jerusalem! Same city being fought over. And at the end of the movie, no spoiler alert, spoiler alert, um, they don't have a lot of knights or soldiers left. So what this man does, a young Orlando Bloom, what this man does is he automatically makes everyone a knight. And there's a phrase in that movie, does making someone a knight really make them fight better? And he's like, yes. Congratulations, you are knighted for the purpose so Nehemiah is yelling down into this wall, fight! Now is the time to fight! And you've got some people who are confused. Because they're like, didn't we come here to build? I brought my working boots. I brought my coveralls, a hard hat, my work gloves. Ever been used. Ready. I came here to build, not to fight. Uh-uh-uh. Because every builder is a fighter. Put a pin in this. We're going to come back to it. We are called to fight for your family. It's what Nehemiah is saying that to that people. Fight for your family. It's just this speech. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Not me who is great and awesome. Not you who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight 
Fight! Fight for who? Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Because if you don't fight, it might not be there. Now think about this for a second. Men in particular. Bless you. Are we, are we fighting? I'm fighting with my wife. No, I know. I'm fighting with my kids. I know. But are we fighting for them? And if this she's one verse speech, men, doesn't just cry out to your heart. You need help. Fight. Stand up and fight. Make a difference. Stand on a wall. Build a wall. Be seen in front of others taking a stand for your families, for your brothers, for your friends, for your kids, for your wives, for your homes. And our nation right now, specifically, though this could be a global problem, people aren't, Christian godly men are not fighting for their families. They're confused or they're complacent. Now, I'm not perfect at this. But I, I want to invite you to, to fight with me. Thanks, Mary. Only a men's a woman. Come on, men. Like, fight with me. Are, are, do we, is that something we want to do? Because I care about my family, and hopefully you care about your family. Then fight for them. How do we, how do, we do that? God's given you everything you need right here. Everything you need is right here. I was talking with Mike Vento earlier this morning who got a fantastic new Taylor guitar up here and it's been a pleasure having that the last few weeks because the old one was... Anyway, <laughs> just making fun. I'm just poking him. <clears throat> Mike got a new Taylor guitar and it's awesome. And I'm like, hey, can I play that for a few minutes? I'm going to play a little bit. And I'm, I'm picking on him because it's just funny, right? Not because it's at Mike. But there's three knobs, and everyone's going to be paying attention at the end. There's three knobs on his guitar over here. One, two, three. Boop, boop, boop. There they are. He's like, I think this was volume. I don't know what the other two do. <laughs> He's had this guitar, he's, first of all, he's played guitar for decades, and he's awesome at it. Second of all, he's had this guitar for weeks. Third of all, this guitar came with an instruction manual. Fourth of all, he ain't read it. What's read? What does read mean, words? There's an instruction manual. It came with the case, with the guitar. Man, you got an instruction manual. Read it. I don't need no instructions. Yeah. 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 Fight for your family. And this is your own home. And also fight for this family. We're a family, right? We talked about it last week in 1 Corinthians 12. Body of Christ all joined together with different parts and different members. Fight for your family. Fight for this tribe. And I, I got to, I'll put it this way, I am so thankful 
Because if you recall January a year ago, we had already weathered the pandemic. We had lost $12,000 in quarter four of 2020 through the pandemic. Giving had dropped off. Attendance had dropped off. We had let all of our part-time staff go. I took a pay cut. And here we were in January of last year. We were five months away from closing our doors if the deficit of financial giving continued. And here we are. Why? Because God is faithful and because you chose to build. What are we building? It's a message on Palm Sunday. We're going to get to that for us, for this family, for this house, for this tribe. But men, fight for your families and women. Fight for your families. You might be single, young, not married, widowed, divorced, I don't know. You might be the the provider in your house and, and women, fight for your families. There's fantastic women of faith here in the Bible. You have to be blind and not read it. Who took a stand for faith. One of the judges was one. Like, Samson was cool, but yeah, just read. Be strong, men and women of faith, and fight for your family. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit, though we're coming back here, so keep your finger in Nehemiah chapter 4, and I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25 to begin. And we're going to talk about some things about fighting. Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30. And this is where Jesus is speaking the parable of the talents. It says, For it be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them his property. I give you my stuff. To one he gave five talents. All right? A talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years' wages. All right? And a little footnote says that. So you think about what you make in 20 years. This is a lot of money. Right? So the first... So the first servant, he gave half a million dollars. I don't know what you make, but that's a lot of money to me. Right? And then, according to his billy, and, and, he, and he went away, and he gave the first about $500,000, and, and then the man took it, the servant took that 500000 and he invested it, and he made 500 more thousand. So he's got a million, he's got a lot of money. Invested it. And so also, he who had the two talents, let's call it 200 grand, made two talents more, because he invested it. But he who had received the one talent, I didn't get as much as they did. I don't have as much stuff as they have. I don't have as nice things as they have. He who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and put it in a non-interest-bearing CDA, or Roth IRA, or just a bank account earning no interest. I just left it there. They hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he came to the one who had received the five talents, and the man came forward, bringing five talents more. I doubled it, doubled the investment, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. The master said to him, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I'll pause here really quick, because we might assume, like, I, I, 
you've been faithful with little. What? You gave me half a million dollars. That's a lot. No, no, no. Oh, God's kingdom works differently. The currency is totally not worldly. So I've given you little. But you've proven yourself what? Starts with an F. You have proven yourself faithful. Master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents. Wasn't as much. Said, here, I have made two talents more. What is his response? Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Literally the same response. Regardless of the same amount of talents that they had been given. They invested it. They built with it. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, excuses. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. In fact, you're such a hard man, you reap where you don't sow, and you gather where you scattered no seed. You can make stuff out of nothing and make what is there amazing. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here is what is yours. His master answered him, what? You wicked and slothful servant, you lazy. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. You knew this. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received at least what was mine with interest. 1.19% is more than 0%. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, will be more, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He who is faithful with little will be given much. And as we build, and men, as you look at your homes, women, as you look at your homes and your kids and your families, as you look at your relationships with your coworkers and with your friends, are you building anything? Because sometimes... If not often, we selfishly want more, right? We want more money. We want a more, better job. You might want more kids. Bless you. <laughs> you, might, you might want a, a, a new car. You might want more of... Uh, time off. You might want um, fill in the blank. But I challenge you to think about this. You may be asking for more, but you have proven yourself already unfaithful with what you have. Now, I do not know if part of my life was God's design yet or not. Time will tell. and Eternity will reveal that. But what I do know is that Lisa and I were married for almost nine years before we were able to have kids. And I've talked about that, so I'm not going to belittle that, right? Or beleaguer, whatever. I'm not going to drag it out. Um, what I do know is that we wanted kids and did not have them. We're not able to yet. 
Don't know why. Medically, still to this day. I don't know. Now we have two boys. I love them. They're fantastic. Most of the time. <laughs> and what I do know is that I had to learn to be faithful to what I had before I could be given more. And I've talked often about the first few years of marriage, how hard it was, the problems that I brought into our relationship with pornography and other things, that I'm thankful that God has moved me past that in my life. Now I can help other men. That was, uh, there's a lot of things going on. I had a lot of baggage, had a lot of emotional pain. I was losing my hair. But I gained more faith. I had to learn how to be a faithful husband before God would allow me to be a faithful father. You tracking with me on this? You want more. But let's be honest, you may not have earned it yet because you are not faithful with what you have. You want more money, but you're not giving. You're not tithing. You want more time, but you're furthering it away on Netflix binge-watching. You want more more fill in the blank, but you're not taking care of what you got. Also, a few pages over in Luke chapter 16, we're again going to read the words of Jesus in a little bit different but also reminding way. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 10. Jesus says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful with much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And so what we see here is it's a heart issue. It's not how much you have or don't have, it's what you do with it. What's your heart in the matter? Because if you're going to tell a little lie, chances are you're going to tell a big one. We don't put up with that in our house. Like lie is immediate discipline. I don't care if he lied about whether or not he brushed his teeth. Oh, simple. What? No, no, no. No, 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 no. No give on that. Every lie, every offense is met with discipline. So that hopefully my boys will grow up and they will not lie, steal, or cheat. And if the day comes where they do, they will have known it was wrong. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Are you faithful with little? Are you faithful with what God has already given you? Think about that for a second. Just think on it. Are you faithful with what God has already given you? Are you just hungry for more? You see, building requires faithfulness. Building requires faithfulness. I want to give you two examples of this. Practical, you can drive by it and see it. And one is if you take 192 West, there's a tiny town that you can sneeze your way through and miss it called Holopaw. And growing up, it was the only way to get to this bumville place called Wachula, which is where my grandparents lived. 
And back in the day, 192 had no median and was not four lanes. This was a death highway with a dotted line and just opposing traffic coming at 50 or 60 plus miles an hour against just so many accidents on that. I was in the back seat and scared for my life. So they've widened it now and they've built it out. But still, as you approach Holopaw on your left, as a broken down building with a carport looking thing, and it says the words, if it still does, Jesus. It was the Jesus Chapel. Hint, the building's not finished. It's been there for like 30 years. One day, my dad, in his wisdom, and a 1980-something red Plymouth station wagon, pulled us over and we talked to the man who was attempting to build the Jesus Chapel. He's a fool. Wasting money on resources, not asking for help, trying to do a whole bunch of things weirdly or by himself because my dad wanted to see if he could make a difference there. And there was no going to make a difference there. So even to this day, as you drive by towards Holopaw, there's a Jesus Chapel and there it is all broke, not built. There's another building by another religious man who owns the Super Channel 55 Christian TV Network. And Claude Bowers. And in 2001, the Majesty Building began to be built. You might know it better as the eyesore on I-4. It's called the Majesty Building? Yes. If you drive on I-4, there's this ugly, ugly hunk of blue glass concrete. Built in two, started in 2001, still to this day not quite finished. And it's known as the eyesore on I-4. You see, building requires faithfulness. Is your home, is your life, is your spiritual formation a metaphorical eyesore on I-4? Is it just sitting there not being built, not being worked on, and everybody else keeps driving by, going about their life and moving forward in faith, and they're like, bro... Hook up electric or something. I haven't finished the size. Concrete, maybe? Walls, plus. It's good. Like build something. Building requires faithfulness, and are you faithful with what God has already given you? A couple more scriptures we're going to tie up today. I want to go back to the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to finish off this chapter today. So we have the epic speech on top of the wall and fighting is happening and we're potentially about to happen and what's going next? Well, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, how did God frustrate their plan? How did God frustrate their plan? Because the people stayed obedient to what God had called them to do. That's how God frustrated their plan. We all returned to the wall, each to his work, and from that day on, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and then half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon 
with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side where he built, while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Hey, we've got a large city here. We're spread out. The work is great, widely spread, and we are separated in all. each building different places, right? Far apart from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. And they would go over to this side and stand shields, bows, and send them. And they would walk over to this side, shields and spears and bows. One guy didn't learn how to play trumpet. And they'd go to that side of the wall, right? And, and they stand there with shields and bows and, trump, and, 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 and swords and everything. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem. We're going to stay in this side of the city because the walls are halfway built now. That they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So they're doing opposing shifts. You had a night work crew and a day work crew. And those who were guarding at night were not building currently. And those who were guarding during the day were not building. But check this out. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us even changed our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Now, this is a great analogy, and we talked about it on Thursday night, and that's going to lead us into one more scripture, this, two more scriptures this morning. Um, but in our Sunday night study, uh, we're going to read a passage here in a minute from, um, from 1 Timothy, or sorry, 2 Timothy. And, um, and Paul is basically using these words, and we're going to reinforce this, this building mentality. One hand on a stone, one hand on a sword. Today's message again is a, a sword and a stone. And so as the wall keeps getting built, more adversaries come and you have to decide. And now logically you'd say, let's have the fighters fight and let's have the builders build. But in this particular case, all were fighting and all were building. No one was exempt. And in our day in, in America, you can have something called a, a CCL, which is a concealed carry permit, right? And the idea behind that is that anyone with that permit and background check or whatever can have a firearm on them at any time, should the need arise, to stop an adversary and protect your family, right? And so there are those in our community and our world and police officers, all that kind of stuff, and private citizens who have a CCL permit. And should the need arise to stop an adversary, to protect your family, they will pull out that firearm and hopefully, with training, be able to attack the adversary and protect their family. Are you and I equipped biblically in such a way? In other words, are you strapped are you, are you packing? What's your equipment? Like you got a Glock? You, you got a SIG? What do you got? A straw with peas in it? <laughs> you know, think about this for a second. Like, are, are you packing for the gospel? Are you, are you concealed carrying your faith? Any time when adversaries come 
and you need to protect your family, you're ready to be, ah, kaboom, done, matter handled, <laughs> and other manly laugh sounds. Are you concealed carrying for the faith? Not a firearm, but you have everything you need here, which is going to lead us to Ephesians chapter 6. Go there with me. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and put in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Every battle is a spiritual battle. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Not most of it, not some of it, not just the cute shoes. Take up all of it. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and then just having done all to stand firm. And I love that part of this passage because it's like so Nehemiah-esque. Like where we're reading it, just stand firm and fight. Fight, fight, fight. For your families, your brothers, and your wives, and your children that stand there for, on top of the wall that we are building in our faith, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet. We're ready. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. Remember that you are saved, and by whom? Power and blood of Jesus Christ, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In other words, don't go into battle with just armor. You will lose. You've got to go armed with something. You've got a sword. What is the sword? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we're back to the question. Are you packing? Are you ready? Have you concealed enough of this within your heart and your mind that you can bring it out when you need it? Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times. You better be praying. Why? Because you pack it. With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Don't let your guard down. Guards on the walls at all times, 24-7. Alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, this body, this family that we are fighting for. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly, not weakly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, because he writes this from prison, that I may declare it boldly, even in prison, as I ought to speak. Chapel guy. Second Timothy. Chapter 4. We read this and closed out with this on Sunday night. And we're getting ready to start the book of Titus next this evening. As Lance Williams brings us the word tonight at 6 o'clock. And we read this on Sunday night, and this is chronologically, this, these are the last words of Paul. Our Bible is not assembled from beginning to end in timeline order. Books are actually intentionally grouped with other books to make sense when you read them. And here we're going to read the last words of Paul before he is killed for the faith. 
And he's writing to Timothy now in his second letter. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, forget the right or wrong side of history, be on the right side of eternity. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they like to hear what they like to hear. They will actually accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We're going to give them cat memes and posters and tweetable phrases from fortune cookies that sound good, but are biblical. To suit their own passions. They're going to turn away from listening to the truth and then wander off into myths and deconstruction. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Find the gap in your wall and build it. We already talked about last week, just build where you are. Build what's in front of you. Find the gap in your wall, in your home, in your family, in your time, in your schedule, with your resources, with what's been given, with what you're not using, and use it Build it for the kingdom of God because it's at hand. And you and I are part of it. And everything that you and I do and everything that you and I don't do on behalf of the gospel could affect someone else's eternity one way or the other. And we have to live with that in mind. Because some of the blocks are burned and broken. We said, no, no, no. There's a fixer, there's a healer, there's a block maker. That's who we go to and put us all back together again. Find the gap in your wall and build it. And as we read these stories, these these guys like Nehemiah seem like they are like awesome dudes who just did extraordinary things. These were men and women doing ordinary things. That God had called them to do. They, they were just being obedient and being faithful and building with what was in front of them and trusting God in the process. My four year old son, Landon, man, he's so smart. And he, he almost doesn't have to be taught anything, but going down, going down the toy aisle, like he naturally just gravitates to superheroes. And your boys might too. It's just this age. And and there's a man in a cape with maybe or maybe not a mask or a shield with a star on it. Or this cool little masky thing that goes webs and things. My son's just drawn to super because he want he knows what a superhero is. He wants to be one. And he looks up to him. These are just Marvel characters are made up. But I want to be the type of man that when my son grows up, I want to be a superhero. Not displacing God. But I want him to be able to look at me and be like, Dad stood in the gap. Dad built what was in front of him. Dad left a legacy so that I might know Christ. Men, is there a greater honor probably this side of heaven than your son saying you're my hero I can't think of one I can't think of one 
I love you, but if he said that, oh, oh see, like, life accomplished. Man. And there's so many good Spider-Man movies. One bad one. And they all somehow involve like a subway. And you may have seen this image before, but he's standing there and he's holding back the subway and he's got webs and he's trying to stop the subway car and he's just like, ah, with much more screaming and loud noises than that. And he's standing there with the webs holding back the train so that others behind might live. That's what you and I are called to. Now the good news is, we don't do that in our own strength. We have no webs. Go web, go. Nothing. What we do have is a CCL. Ready. Ready. At all times to stand in the gap to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And to fight, to fight, to fight for our homes and our mothers and our fathers and our brothers and our sisters and our wives and our friends and our tribe and our church and our community and our county and the world. To fight. Because in here is the word of life and truth and salvation. Because this is the word. And the word is living and active. Sharper than anything you and I know. Able to pierce into our hearts. Why is the word living and active? Because the word is Jesus. It's all here. Made flesh for us. Died for us. And the only reason that we are able to be faithful is because he has shown his faithfulness to us. That his word is true and that he can be trusted, that he is good, that he is caring, that he is filled with grace, that he is merciful and compassionate. And so we can rest in that knowing that our faithfulness will fulfill his promises. He doesn't need any help. Man, I want to be a part of his plan, right? I want to fight. I want to be a superhero for the faith. Because you don't know what may or may not be written down about you one day. I guarantee you, Nehemiah probably had no idea we'd be reading this thousands of years later. It's a safe bet. Are you living a legacy? Are you building what's in front of you? Are you being faithful with what you already have? <laughs>